0: If you want to turn in your Bibles to James 1 as we continue going through that. And uh, one of the things I like about James is James, in my opinion, is a uh, sort of a blue-collar preacher, a blue-collar Christian. He just sort of cuts right to the chase. And in a day and age where we are so political about everything we do, where we worry about every method of of evangelism instead of just preaching the word and where sometimes we think every book or other thing may fix a thing instead of going back to God's word James pushes people to look at God's word and so if you have your Bibles today and as we've read through we see where he's talking to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad now the 12 tribes as different things, it could be different churches that were out there. Many times, it's referred to uh, as Matthew uh, had had did in chapter 19 as the Jewish people as a whole. So he's writing basically to the Jewish converts to the Jewish people that are out there that have converted, and it says which are scattered abroad. And Josephus, who was a, a historian of that time, said there is no city, no tribe whether Greek or barbarian, in which Jewish law and Jewish customs have not taken root. In that area, uh, the Jewish influence, the Jewish presence was very, very strong. And what he talks about is this faith. And so as we read today, count it all joy when you go through these trials, knowing that testing your faith produces patience. But let your patience have its perfect work and let it be complete, lacking nothing. And then he goes on to say, if any of you lacks wisdom, it says, Ask. And so we have this faith, we have this perseverance, and we have this wisdom that is going on. Now, when I think I might have shared last week, when the book of James was first being considered for the canon, there were those that didn't like the book of James because James emphasizes a lot on works. And again, as we always say, we don't do works for our salvation, we do works because of our salvation what James is saying is if you are truly saved, it shows a change in your life. It shows a a, a change in the things that you do. You know, back in the biblical times, as you read through, it was expectant and it was shown these things. Today, sometimes we tell people, well, it's going to take time or more time, give them time, and we sort of nurse them along in their sin instead of calling for repentance, as James does. We allow people to... Uh, that profess Christianity to act in ways that aren't Christian and we say nothing because we do not want to offend them and we sometimes will leave it to let the Holy Spirit do its work but Martin Luther said this oh it is a living busy active mighty thing this faith it is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly it does not ask whether good works are to be done but before the question is asked, it has already done this and constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith and good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. I love the old authors. I love reading Spurgeon and, and Calvin and. and Uh, Pink and and Martin Luther, when you read these preachers, you hear them keeping the people's feet to the fire about what it means to be born again, about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be living for Christ. Those that questioned James didn't understand that James, the half-brother of Jesus again, was sold out for the truth. He wanted to push people, he wanted to Get them to realize that it's not just the words you say, as Martin Luther says, what does he say? He says, yet they all talk and talk with many words about faith and good works. We have many today and many in a church that can talk and talk about faith, about God, about Jesus, about this, but their life is not reflective of it. Their speech is not reflected of it. And they still make a mockery out of what Christ has done. In James, there's at least 15 allusions to the Sermon on the Mount. He had heard the teachings of Jesus. He knew the teachings of Jesus. And he took seriously the message when he wrote this letter. The question is, is do we take serious the gospel message of what Jesus Christ did for us? Has it changed your life? Has it changed your speech? Has it changed your behavior? James will challenge us in these things. So he says be patient in endurance in trials. And so 2 through 4 he says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. James regarded these trials as inevitable. Sometimes we get so surprised when Satan attacks and when when hardships come in or these trials or tests come into our life. But notice that James says, when, not if. He said that these things are inevitable in our life and to be prepared for those things. Just as was shared that this lady is prepared to meet Jesus. Are we prepared for the trials that come into our life? And it says when we are, we're to count it all joy. Not for the joy of being in that situation, but for the joy of knowing this, that it's going to produce patience in our life. And James also says this, when you fall into, not when you go into step by step. So many times we see people today that just wander into sin. They just walk into sin. They, they dabble in sin. They're living in sin. Sin is just all about their life. And then they're, oh, I'm going through such hard times. James is talking about those who fall into, plunged into, sort of precipitated as David was in Psalms 116, sort of cast into this trial and this situation, and and now what do we do? As believers, we shouldn't be walking into sin and then pleading for, oh, I don't understand why all these things are coming on. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in its end it leads to destruction. He says we're to cast off sin. We're to stay far from it. We're not to dabble in it. We're not to to lean on our own understanding. And he says when we have this faith of God, and that's when he's talking about this double-minded man, when we have the faith of God, we have the strength to say no to sin. We have the, the wisdom and the patience when we're in a trial. To seek God out in those things. See, patience is an ancient Greek word, hopamol, And when we look at sometimes the meaning of these words, it doesn't describe a a passive waiting, but an active endurance. So there's a difference between just sort of sitting and waiting for a storm to pass, or sitting and, and really anticipating what God may do through those things. And so it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Faith is tested through trials. It's not produced through trials. It's tested through trials. We might say, well, why does our faith need to be tested? Doesn't God know what our faith is? Trials reveal what faith we do have. So when we come into a trial, when we come into a situation, what's your response? You know, there's two um, methods that in human nature that we have, and God has designed us in human nature. It's fight or flight, right? We either stand up for what God has for us and we take a stand in that and we endure through those things or we flight, we run away from it. What do you do when God is speaking to you? What do you do when you're in the midst of a trial? Do you seek God out? So it tells us that faith is tested through trials, not produced. If you're going through a trial, it's not going to produce faith in you. It's going to show you the faith that you have. Trials reveal the faith that we have not to God, but to us and to those around us. When we look at others and we see how they handle circumstances in their life, we can get a barometer of of where their faith is, who they put their trust in. Spurgeon says this, faith is as vital to salvation as the heart is vital to the body. Hence, the javelins of the enemy are mainly aimed at this essential grace. The javelins of the enemy, the javelins of Satan, the spears, the the weapons of Satan are aimed towards our faith. Satan wants to break our faith. He wants to minimize our faith. He wants to reduce our faith. See, when we keep our eyes on Christ, he's the one that we have our hope in and our faith in. We trust in him that he is the one that's going to walk us through and see us through whatever trial that we are in. We are fighting health issues in our lives. We're fighting economic things, political things in our life. We're fighting spiritual things in our life. God is in control. Is our faith in him. Satan is aiming at our faith. He wants to chip away and chip away at our faith that we no longer trust in God, but that we trust in our own resources And in our own ways. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So we know that faith comes by being in God's word. We know that faith comes by hearing God's word. And as we hear and understand and we trust in God's word, it is sort of spiritually imparted into us. The more you listen to God's word, the more you read God's word, the more you are, are meditating on God and his precepts, the more time that you spend in prayer, the stronger your faith will become. Because that's a promise of God's word. It says, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be lacking nothing. The work of patience and endurance comes slowly Sometimes. We're not a patient people. It says, blessed are those that wait upon the Lord. See, God can be at work, but we're so quick to want to do it our way or this way and and to have it concluded and to put the period at the end of the sentence that we don't always let God write the chapter. God write the paragraph. God write the story. So we are busy doing what God has called us to do as he is unfolding his sovereignty. His work within our life. Spurgeon goes on to say the natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify but to induce sin. So what is he saying? The natural tendency when we fall into trouble is not to sanctify, not to seek God, not to do what God would have us to do, but to do sin. See, we have these things in our life that that if, if we can't find a way to do it, go back to the old days, oh, I can't feed my family. And instead of trusting in God, it's like, I need to rob a store. See, that's the tendency. Our tendency isn't towards righteousness all the time, but it's towards sin. Spurgeon uh, recognizes this. The natural tendency of trouble is not to sanctify, but to induce sin. Hence, we are taught to pray, lead us not into temptation. Because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. Think about that. When we come into trials, when we come into difficulties in our life, there's always that temptation to take it into our own hands. There's always that temptation to stray from what God would have for us to do. Because trial has in itself a measure of temptation. And if it were not neutralized by the abundant grace, it would bear us towards sin. So it says to the believer, the more that we are in God's word, the more that we are praying, the more that we stand up and and have this faith and this endurance in him, that by his grace, he is going to keep us away from sin. We're going to follow him as our faith grows. Spurgeon goes on to, to share this. He says, I have looked back at times of trial with a kind of longing." Not to have them return, but to feel the strength of God as I had felt it then. To feel the power of faith as I had felt it then. To hang upon God's powerful arm as I hung upon it then. And to see God at work as I saw him then. Spurgeon was saying, looking back and seeing God at work in my lives, I sort of longed for that when my dependence was fully upon God. Have you become dependent upon something else than God? Are you dependent upon your resources, upon your answers, upon the things of this world? Listen, you can listen to the news and you're going to hear all sorts of strange things and all sorts of of activities that are going on and and we can sometimes think, well, if I was that person or if I could do this, if I was president, if I was instead of looking towards God in God's word. Well, how do we receive the wisdom that we need from God? Five through eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, in trials, what we need is wisdom. And we need godly wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But we need wisdom a lot more than we need knowledge. See, knowledge is is raw information. There's a a saying out there that sometimes when we're dealing with people, they have enough knowledge to be dangerous, meaning that they, they know enough to sort of stay in the realm of things, but not really to make a difference. Knowledge is raw information, but wisdom knows how to use it. So that's what I always say, is, is knowledge is what you know. Wisdom is to know how to use what you know. That's wisdom. Sometimes we think, well, old people have wisdom. They've been around a long time. Sometimes. Someone once said that, that uh, knowledge is the ability to take things apart. But wisdom is the ability to put things back together. See, we need wisdom in our life, and we need godly wisdom in our our life. And it says to receive wisdom, it says we simply ask God. Isn't it just so simple? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally or generously. It's a simple prescription that God has given us to be in his word. To receive wisdom, we simply ask God, Who gives wisdom generously and it says without reproach. If you're lacking wisdom, do you go to God and say, Lord, I I need wisdom. I need to know how to deal with this. I need to know your answer for this. And we're not always going to hear it in a verbal from God. Sometimes through prayer we can maybe get some insight to direction, but we find it in God's word. We find it in the counsel of other strong Christians that put their faith in God. And it all sort of fits together. See, we're real quick to go to books for the answer of things. And there's a lot of good authors out there. Let me tell you, I mean, when I'm studying through scriptures, I, I read some commentaries and stuff. But the Bible is the authority in my life. I used to have a huge, huge library, and I've, I've whittled it down because I don't spend enough time in God's Word, let alone reading all these other books. And, and other books, let me tell you again, they're good. They can enhance. They're sort of like salt. They can sort of enhance the scriptures for us. But we're quick to go to books. We're quick to, to go to men. We're quick to go to special services or, or ceremonies. We're quick to go to anything except to God and his word. See, one of the ways that, that Satan deals with us is to keep us out of the word of God. I'm too busy to read the scriptures. I'm too busy to get involved in a Bible study. I'm too busy for devotions. And, and, and so when you're too busy for God, you're out of his word and you become weak. You become spiritually anemic. And that's Satan's victory. That's how he attacks our faith. And so we begin to listen to the knowledge in man or the peer pressure that becomes around us and all these other things that That are around us. God says go to my word. My word is truth. He tells us that when we go and ask for this wisdom. It says that he gives it to us generously without reproach. Calvin said this. This is added. Lest anyone should fear to come to God too often. Have you ever just felt like when you pray a lot. That you know Lord I don't mean to be bugging you again. God doesn't have that mindset towards us though. Be an omnipresent, omni-knowledge, omni-everything. God desires. I don't think if you prayed 24 hours a day, every second of every day, that that would be too much for God to say, oh, no, you know, you're bugging me right now. Stop it. God doesn't do that. It says without reproach. If you need something, you go to God and you ask him, Lord, I need compassion. Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, I need guidance. Lord, I need direction. We cannot go to God too much. And and our tendency sometimes is to feel like we bother God. We're only going to go to God with the the big things. I'm not going to bother him with the little things. Calvin says, this is that, lest anyone should fear to come to God too often, for he is ready to add new blessings to former ones without any limitation. That's my God. That's my God that will continue to to answer my prayers, and to give me what he knows I need. Not what I want, but he will give me what he knows that I need generously, without limit. God has given us that promise in his word. But he tells us this, let him ask in faith without doubting. A lot of times we go to God maybe praying, but we really don't believe he will do it. That's hard sometimes. We see somebody that's dying from a disease and we pray for them, we don't see any way out. So sometimes we pray sort of doubting. Maybe we see a a relationship that is fractured, and and, and we think, well, that's never going to heal, but we throw up the prayer, you know, just to make the noise or the sound. James says, let them ask in faith without doubting God's ability or desire to give you the wisdom in those situations. Do you ask in faith? Do you ask not doubting those things? Do you ask really wanting to receive that? See, some people don't read the Bible because they don't want to be convicted of what God's word says. They don't want to hear what God's word says. They're comfortable in their life. They're comfortable in their decisions. They're comfortable in the things that they do. But we notice that, as James is telling us, not only must we come in faith, So we're coming in faith, but we must also ask in faith. So when we come in faith, we're coming believing. And when we ask, we are asking believing. And this is where the prayers I think of many people fail. Because we don't believe in what we are doing. It's something maybe that we've been trained to do. I used to share that when I was a young child, my grandma taught us grace. God is gracious. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we must be fed. Give us, Lord, the daily bread. Amen. It was a a good thing. You know, that's what grandmas do and parents do. We teach our kids to pray. The only thing is that when you're not believing it, when it's not really a part of those things. I remember looking out the window, watching cars go by, watching my friends play. I could recite that prayer and Ten seconds, you know, God's gracious, God's good, the last thing for food, by hand, must be good, the not even knowing what I'm saying. But when you really think about Lord, thank you for the blessing. I praise you, Lord. You know, and, and we give Him the recognition. We come believing, we pray believing. Spurgeon says, You know, dear friends, that there is a way of praying in which you ask for nothing and get it. And that's what James is saying. You're asking, not believing, and you are not going to get it. We come to God in faith, believing that he can. He may not give us what we are praying for. He may not restore health or relationships or certain situations, but we come believing, and we leave the decision up to God. And we say, God, I believe that if it's your will, you can heal this person. I believe, Lord, if it's your will, this relationship will be restored. Lord, if it's your will, you know, and so that's why Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thy will be done. We pray in God's will. The one who doubts and lacks faith should not expect, it says, to receive anything from the Lord. That's what the scriptures say. If you come doubting and lacking that faith, you shouldn't even expect to receive it. They're just hollow words that are going up. This lack of faith that we show when we approach God that way and this lack of trust in God also shows that we have no foundation. We really don't have that foundation. And it says that we are unstable in all our ways. And what does he say? Like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We just came from the ocean. There were some days down there they had five, six foot waves and I was watching it. I was watching the water churn and, and the water was dirty because it was kicking up all the sand and different things and there was a mist and, and I was just thinking of the power the power of those waves and I was remembering back last year when somebody anchored their boat off the end of the jetty and he anchored it too short and the waves started coming up and it smashed the boat onto the jetty and destroyed it The power of these waves. It says that we are like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Clark says this in his commentary. The man who is not thoroughly persuaded that if he asks of God shall receive it. Resembles a wave of the sea. He is in a state of continual agitation. Driven by the wind and tossed. Now rising in hope. Then sinking in despair. Is that your prayer life? Do you rise in hope, get oxygen, and sink in despair? Do you have that constant faith that God is in control? I think a wave is a, a fitting description. A wave of the sea is without rest. When I was looking at that ocean, I mean, they were crisscrossing and turning and coming in and coming out. And, and you know, you really couldn't follow them after a while. They just, it was just a mix. A wave of the sea is without rest. So is the doubter. He's without rest in his life because Jesus says, cast your cares upon me. And when we do that, we've let him have it. But are we hanging on to it ourselves? A wave of the sea is unstable. So is the doubter. The Bible says we are unstable in all our waves. A wave of the sea is driven by the winds. Windy days down there, the waves would get huge. When the wind was back and the the tides were low, the ocean was really very calm. Are you driven by the wind? Are you driven by the the winds of popularity, by the impressions of others, by the things of this world? Or are you casting your cares on God? A wave of the sea is capable of great destruction. Satan uses that in our life to destroy our faith, to destroy our relationship with God and with others. In Mark 9, there was a man who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What a great thing. Lord, I believe, but help me where my unbelief is there. Lord, I have faith, I come to you in faith, but help me where my faith is weak in believing that God will take care of that. That man was not a double-minded man. He wanted to believe. And he declared his belief to God. His faith was weak. But it wasn't tinged with the double-minded man. He knew where to go. And he stood in the presence of God with that prayer. Do you believe God can give you the wisdom? Do you believe that he will do that if you ask him to do so in your life? We should. Then go to him at once. And say, Lord... This is what I need. Let's pray.